Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Join us as we go on an American ride, experience exhilarating thrills, and preview a months-long California wine festival. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and today we're going to share some of our favorite things with you. American history, Harleys, roller coasters, and Californian wines. Thanks, dear. TV show host Stan Ellsworth breaks the mold of the stereotypical high school history teacher. A former NFL player, Stan is the Harley-Davidson riding host and creator of BYU TV's American Ride. He's listening to me talk and talk, and finally at the end of the day he walks up and he goes, Hey, what's a Harley guy know about history anyhow? (laughs) (laughs) That was so perfect. I said, well, let me tell you. As the author of America's Top Roller Coasters and Amusement Parks, Pete Trabuco knows a thing or two about high-speed thrills. Pete's taking his need for speed and death-nifying adventures to the airwaves in a new show, Thrill Ride Maniacs. Cedar Point is the mecca for a roller coaster enthusiast. Uh, you've got uh, one coaster better than the other, and even in the New Jersey area, we've got some great parks here with Six Flags Great Adventure. And- with Earth Day just around the corner, California wineries are embarking on a first-time, months-long celebration called Down to Earth Month. Gladys Horayuchi of the Wine Institute previews what's in store for this eco-friendly festival of California wines. April is the month that uh, Earth Day is celebrated, so we're making it a month-long celebration to put a focus on what our wineries and vineyards are doing in the state. This is World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Visit us and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. To say that Stan Ellsworth breaks the mold of the stereotypical high school history teacher is an understatement. The six foot two, three hundred pound former NFL player is the Harley Davidson writing host and creator of BYU's TV's new American history program, American Ride. Stan has merged his love for history and motorcycles and has taken his class on the road. Stan, welcome. Thank you, Tanya. I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Hey, now listen, are you still teaching in the classroom? Because I would have loved a teacher like you. I wouldn't have been the slacker I was in high school <laughs> had you been teaching my history class. <laughs> well, Tanya, you're, you're very sweet to say that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm no longer employed in, in teaching. Uh, the production schedule simply keeps me you know, on the road and, and tied up in pre-production too much. Mm-hmm. So your classroom is really virtual now. My classroom is the, the, the outdoors. I finally got in a classroom big enough for, for me. Oh, bless it's, you. Uh, <laughs> no walls. But like you, in, in, in high school, I may not have been the most studious of, of, of attendees. <laughs> you know, we, we all think of history class and we go straight to the, the Ferris Bueller movie. <laughs> you know, and, and I love history. And I love American history. I want kids... Of all ages, you know, there's some people that are 67 years old that have gone back to college, and, and I see him answering the blog on the show about how, you know, I'm taking history now and I learn more from your show than I do from my book. Mm-hmm. Things like that matter to me. I, I, I think, you know, this is we're, we're touching people, and that's our point. Yeah, we want people to wake up to American heritage 
and, and be who we're supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, you're making history fun, and I, and I want to talk to you about... Um about the show, but I have to talk a little football with you because I love the fact that you used to play for one of my favorite teams, the Lions, and I understand you're a fan of one of our other favorite teams, the Ravens, and I'm so jazzed about this. So, I, I am a huge Ravens fan. <laughs> I, since, the, since the inception of the Ravens back in 96. Now, you know, I, I used to coach college football long, long ago. And uh, I had the opportunity to visit the University of Miami, and I watched a young linebacker in spring drills. Hmm. And I, I said to the defensive coordinator at the time, uh, I think that was Dave Wanstad at that time, I said, Dave, that young man is going to be one of the best linebackers ever. That young man was Ray Lewis. Oh. And, and Ray has gone on to prove me a prophet. Yes, he <laughs> has. I can't believe it. He, yes, he, I think, is absolutely the consummate linebacker. He is a great leader. He is a great athlete. He, he he knows the way, he shows the way, you know, and he teaches the way to others. Mm-hmm. I think he is a great man. And, and when the NFL, I mean, Matt Burt getting the man of the year thing is a great thing for Matt, but I don't understand why Ray Lewis didn't get it. He's a guy that came from hard times. He raised himself up, pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He's made himself, you know, the man to be admired in the NFL. I just love the guy. What an American story right there. Absolutely. And speaking of American stories, one of the things that I love about you, Stan, is that you cover so much of the the great stories of our time. Uh, playing football, you know what it's like to be in there in the locker room, to really be in a place where people of all colors can come together pull for a goal and now you get to travel america to truly discover how great this country is and tell the world that this has got to be just a remarkable life journey for you you know it it, it is and and let let me clarify one thing if i were any good at football my money'd be working for me right now (laughs) let's make sure we understand i wasn't that good you know i said to myself I'm going to play in the NFL or find out the reason why. And I found out why. I simply wasn't that good. But you know, I did have an opportunity, and I loved every minute of it. And I'm, I'm grateful to the organizations that gave me a shot. And, and I, I love the game. And like you said, I love what it does. It demonstrates that men from every walk, men from every ethnic background can pull together and can come together. And to me, that is the vision of America. And we've gotten it wrong in the past. But, you know, let's put the past behind us and build on the positives that we have now. We have such a bright future, and if we pull together, it can only get better. Mm-hmm. And you're right, there's this motorcycle journey. What a great opportunity. They pay me to ride a Harley down the road. How many people get that for work? And, and speaking of Harleys, how did you, I mean, how did you choose to travel via the Iron Horse across America, or, and why, why the Iron Horse? Well, um, number one, you know, I, I learned to ride motorcycles before I learned to drive, and, and uh, it's not that big of a switch from a bicycle to an Iron Horse, and thank you for using that term (laughs) i I, I love it because it it is it kind of draws you back into the past you can ride the motorcycle like it's a horse you know from the bygone era Mm -hmm. so we try to travel in in, in the show we try to travel the same trails where possible you know some of them been built over and and all that but a lot of them you can still ride and you can feel what it what it is you know if, if you're well there's some places in america that are just really special and if you're quiet enough there, then, then you can hear things. You know, maybe somewhere down deep in your soul or in your heart, you can hear 
what the past is saying to you. And that that's a pretty special experience. And one of the things about traveling on a Harley is that that is real America. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Iron Horse Hotel, home of Harley-Davidson. Have you taken the show there yet? You know, we, we haven't. We're moving kind of linearly through history, you know, almost like we had the syllabus out, sort of. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so and when we get to the turn of the century and the great inventions, you know, we're talking about the beginning of the automobile, the, the Wright Brothers airplane, uh, you know, Art and Willie, the Harley-Davidson guys putting it together. That'll be in the, actually, in, in season five, we'll be talking about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're lucky enough to have shot two seasons already, and we're looking forward to two more right now. So, you know, it, it's, it is a wonderful ride. It is a fantastic experience. And being out on the road, seeing the country, well, you guys know, you're big travelers yourselves. Yeah. It's it, it's it's rich, and you know, and that begs the question: How do you choose the destinations you um, travel to? Because although you know this country is younger than countries in in Europe and in Africa, um, we do still have a you know a vast and broad history. So how do you how do you determine where you're going to go and what you're going to talk about? Uh, you know, number one, uh, they've got to be historically. You know, part of our story, you guys know, whenever you're doing stuff like this, the story is the thing that actually drives the excitement. So we, we picked it, and, and in, you know, we've got a half an hour show, and when people say, what's your show about? I say, it's about 24 minutes and 55 seconds. That's what it's about. But we, we try to fit in the story in that time frame. And so we pick the highlights of history and hopefully give people the flavor of our heritage. So we look at, like, when we go to Boston, you know, we actually... We had to walk the Freedom Trail, but mm-hmm. we rode from Boston, you know, out to Lexington and Concord. We uh, rode from Jamestown to Williamsburg. We got to ride down Blue Ridge Parkway, which might be one of the most beautiful roads in America. You know, when we're talking about the, the history of just the entire revolution, there's so many personal stories there. And it's sad that, you know, for the time frame, some of them get left on the ground. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we've we've created something for this next season called American Moments, where we can take those stories of, you know, people that di- didn't make the didn't make the show, but their story is still important, and we just load in that as a, uh, you know, like a teaser for our show. So watch American Ride; you can learn more stuff like yeah. this. Is there a favorite period of American history for you personally? You know, I actually love all of American history. I. Uh, there's aspects of American history that I find absolutely intriguing. You know, sometimes it's because it's so exciting and, and, and ennobling, and other times it's because it's so troubling. And I try to understand the mindset of the time. So you know, when we get to the Civil War, that's a, the, the whole situation there is a big head-scratcher. So I'll, I'll enjoy trying to untie that knot when we get there. Mm-hmm. But Gettysburg. Yeah, we've we've had a chance to experience Gettysburg firsthand with uh, with a guide and uh, tour the battlefield and get up close and personal. And the way that you do it, uh, the way to really get that experiential feeling is the way I would encourage all of us to go at this history and learn those stories. Learn the stories about people that we don't often read about because that adds so much to this grand American story doesn't it though yeah because it is it's you know we can say it's like we're, we're one great nation 
and and we try to be. I, I feel we really do. We all try to be. We're still holding on to that, all of us together. You know, and, and I, I hope that we all, you know, pick up that theme and, and work that way. But it is stories of unique individuals who, you know, they might not have been the greatest. They might not have been the most educated, the most brilliant, the most gifted. But when, you know, history's light shone upon them, they stood tall. And, and you know, that is a wonderful thing to be able to look at the common man Mm-hmm. And say, you see, that's greatness right there. I'm wondering if you're planning on covering, uh, in addition to some of our, our you know, our, our wonderful history, our rich history, uh, some of the dark moments like, you know, the Salem witch trials, the, the Trail of Tears, or, or even the slave trade, are those things that you envision touching on with uh, in your show at some point? Yes, actually. I, I, I don't know about the Salem witch trials, um, you know, for, for whatever reason. Uh, we didn't get it chance to really you know get those in but as far as um the trail of tears yes that's going to be something we deal with extensively Mm -hmm. in in the uh, in the fourth season where we're going to talk about you know like the story there is how the west was lost instead of looking at it from the expansion of you know european society we're going to look at it as the, the 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 you know the ending of the like the plains nations and so we start that with a conversation about the trail of tears and how that came about and in the uh, in the season that ramps up to the Civil War, which is you know the second season, which will start to air April second, seven p.m., we deal extensively with the entire question of slavery. So I'm, I'm not one that says, "Well, that's uncomfortable. Let's you know, let's put it in the back." No, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it head on. Let's talk about the truth of the issue. Mm-hmm. Let's not dodge it. It's part of our history. And you know, there, there's good men and good women. Throughout the period of history we're talking about, that attempted to do the right thing and end the suffering and right. free the captive and comfort the downtrodden. And we want to look at those people. And we talked, we went to the Freedom Center in Cincinnati, which is a wonderful place to visit, and I would encourage everyone to go there, uh, you know, where they talk a lot about the, the you know, human chattel slavery and bondage in America. And they talk a lot about how you know, we think, okay, in 1865, slavery ended. And there's still people being sold into bondage today. Yes. You know, and, and that center is so incredible. And the people that, that work there and, and articulate those stories, you know, they do such a powerful job. I was, I was very moved by the experience. And so, yes, we deal with those things head I- on. Straight out. I, I'm so glad to, to hear that. And in looking back on our history, you know, the quote, those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, and and I, I'm very happy to hear that you will be focusing on some of our darker uh, times and in hopes that, you know, not only we'll learn from those, those mistakes, um, but people will appreciate, I think, how this country has continued to evolve despite the adversity. Um, Amen. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to run for office, exactly I think. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, because we do. As a nation, we're constantly evolving. We're constantly, hopefully, improving ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and as individuals, we should do the same thing. And sometimes, and I don't want to get all political, but sometimes I scratch my head. Oh, there's people that are troubled that democracies in other places in the world don't mirror ours. They can't. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. folks have a different heritage, a different point of view. Their democracy will be their democracy. Our democracy will be our democracy. Absolutely. And it's okay. 
Absolutely. You know, that, that's not a problem. It's okay. <laughs> now, now you know there there are some uh, who are who continue to be a little bit hard headed, and so I'm curious what you've uncovered through your research, through your travels. What lessons uh, that we actually, as a country, fail to learn from and repeat or have repeated, despite. Well, you know that, that, that some some of those things are kind of scary because they are they are polarizing and they need explanation. Um, but some of the things that I think we really don't get are, are, are the words that the framers used and how they used them. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that always, I mean, since I was little and I am from the South, you know, but I, even I could figure out that if Tom Jefferson wrote, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, which mm-hmm. means everybody's going to accept this as so, you know, that men are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. Okay, God gave these to us. All men are created equal. Well, how did we get this inequality thing going then? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that one, I've scratched my head about that a lot. But I've seen over time people have tried to change it. And to say that racism does not exist in America is, is putting your head in the sand. But instead of avoiding the question, let's meet it head on. Let's talk about it. Because we're all, you know, sons and daughters of, you know, one providence. We're sons and daughters of of one great freedom, and we should all work together. There's so much more that unites us than divides us. That's one of the things I want to hit on in American Ride, is that everyone, everyone that, that, I don't care where you came from, don't care what your heritage is, that's a special and unique thing just for you. Nobody else has the same story. But as a nation, the heritage that we all have is ours together. Stan, that is just so wonderful and to me that football coach in you just just comes through inspires us and really it it's 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 as if you are what we need in america right now but i want to ask you when you travel from place to place and you come in on your harley and they see you this this big guy what's the response when you tell them oh i'm i'm here to talk about american history and uh you know that that may be a head scratcher for some. How how are how are you received as you go from place to place? Ian, let me tell you this one story. When we're, we're filming on Breed's Hill, which is actually where the Battle of Bunker Hill was fought. Um, you know, we're we're telling the whole story. You know, walking here, walking there, and the, the uh, there's a Bostonian that's the the groundskeeper. You know. Irish guy, well, Irish-American, ardent Red Sox fan, you know, <laughs> riding the mower around. He's listening to me talk and talk. And finally, at the end of the day, he walks up and he goes, Hey, what's a Holly guy know about history anyhow? <laughs> <laughs> that was so perfect. I said, well, let me tell you. you know, so we took, we took about three minutes to talk with him. You know, and, and he watches the show. He loves the show now. But you know, there's a lot of people that look. We've shattered a stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not many people that look at. You know, if you have a 22 inch neck, they figure your IQ's 22 too. <laughs> you know, that's it. There's not a whole lot of. This guy can't put a sentence together. He's going to growl and order a beer. That's what you're looking at. And so this image shatters that stereotype, and it wakes people up. And for a second, they say, "Wait, what does this guy have to say?" Mm-hmm. Because if I'm just another talking head of history, you know, then I, it's like I drone on, Bueller, 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 <laughs> and people go to sleep. <laughs> and, you know, we're trying to wake them up. Yeah. 
Well, you sure work. Well, have woken me up, and Stan. I am so excited about your show. I'm thinking, oh, my dad's going to love this. I have to share this with him because I obtained my love for history through uh, through through my father. Um, one of the things that we talk about on the show is how transformative travel is, and I can't imagine that you haven't been transformed in some way through y- your travels, through this educational experience. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, I, I, I can, and I'd be happy to. There, there's places, as you've said, you've been to Gettysburg. You've experienced Gettysburg. Um, there's some places when you go there. I mean, obviously, when you hit the open road, you get this stupid smile on your face that you just can't erase. It's like, you know, your first love in high school. You just look goofy. But you're having such a great time that you don't want to get rid of it. And then there's places that you go. Like when I walked the the fields at Valley Forge, and you remember what happened there, and the sacrifices that were made that our nation could even exist, and and you're deeply moved. Mm -hmm. And you stand on the field at Gettysburg, and you feel the sorrow of loss there. Even though it's been more than a century, the ground remembers. And you stand in in the Union graveyard, and you feel almost the pride of the men whose remains lay there that they were able to give so much in the cause of freedom. Mm. And one of the really the most special places I've stood is when I went to Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And, you know, most of the time you don't you don't get to stand on the other side of that. You know, they have that little banister thing that you walk in, you walk out. They let us cross over the barrier and stand on the ground where the, the, you know, the founders, the men that wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution actually worked. Wow. And, you know, I'll admit we didn't get everything right. But when you feel the spirit that remains there, the spirit that remembers, it's deeply moving. Very, very powerful, Stan. Uh, we're looking forward to your next season. And I have a proposal before we, we cut out. Um, I think going back to football, our dream Super Bowl are the Lions against the Ravens in New Orleans, one of our favorite places in the world. And so I say we all meet up there before, during, and after, and uh, perhaps we can cover the the War of um, 1812, the Bicentennial. And uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a good thing for you know mutually beneficial thing for all of us. Tanya, I would love that. And I, I hope that that turns out to be the case. Go Ravens. Go Ray Ray. Let's beat them. You betcha. I love New Orleans, too. That is such a beautiful city. Uh, Stan, we love you, too. And uh, we thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprints Radio. Hey, thank you very much. Look forward to talking with you again. Up next, we'll get some thrills with roller coaster expert author and the host of the new reality show, Thrill Ride Maniacs, Pete Trabuco. Cedar Point is the mecca for a roller coaster enthusiast. Uh, you've got uh, one coaster better than the other, and even in the Jersey area, we've got some great parks here with Six Flags Great Adventure. And- As World Footprints continues. Hello, my name is Minnie Johnson. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprint radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much information from the show. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. 
Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Hi, I'm Nancy from Lansing, Michigan. I'm here in New Orleans, and I enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Paige Rubuco is an aviation expert, amusement park enthusiast, a vacation expert, licensed private pilot, author, and former chief of staff for the New Jersey State General Assembly. His book, America's Top Roller Coasters and Amusement Parks, has led to a new reality show hitting the TV waves soon. The new show, Thrill Ride Maniacs, will take viewers through some of the most death-defying adventures around. And Pete is here today to give us a thrilling ride. Welcome, Pete. Well, thanks for having me on the show today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. And, you know, I have to say before we, we start talking about roller coasters that my favorite place uh, in the whole world is, I think, the mecca for roller coasters, um, Cedar Point. Well, I agree. Cedar Point is the mecca for roller coaster enthusiasts. Uh, You've got uh, one coaster better than the other, and even in the New Jersey area, we've got some great parks here with Six Flags Great Adventure, and there's a whole bunch uh, in California and, of course, Florida down at Disney World, Universal Studios, Busch Gardens, and so on. Uh, the mecca, really, or the place that people go to, they love to go to, is Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, on the peninsula. Uh, I think that's Lake Erie, I believe. And, yes. Uh, between Cleveland and Toledo is, is pretty much halfway between both uh, locations. Beautiful place. You got uh, my favorite roller coaster of all time, which is Millennium Force. Uh, it's a great ride, about 300 feet high, and uh, you've got Top Thrill Dragster and about 16 other fantastic roller coasters there. Uh, yeah, and you know, and each one, each year, it seems like they have something new to offer. Um, and, 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 and they just keep getting better and better. Um, I'm not sure what they're what they're putting up this year, but. It's amazing to see how much they've been able to pack onto that tiny peninsula. Well, that's true, and basically it can't really grow, obviously, but uh, they do upgrade rides every once in a while, and they add rides. And, uh, you know, that's part of the Cedar Fair operation, which is a, a pretty nice size uh, operation uh, with many locations all over the country. Uh, but that's still by far, uh, in my mind and in, in many people's mind. Uh, the best place to go. And the great thing about the Cedar Point is you also have, you know, you're on a peninsula, but if you uh, don't like roller coasters, 
they've got nice beaches and and there's a nice little hotel there called Breakers mm-hmm. and you can t- you know if you don't like the beach I mean if you don't like the the roller coasters you can go to the beach and have your kids go into uh, you know inside to the park or or vice versa if you don't like the beach you can send the wife and kids there and go on the roller coasters yourself. Absolutely, and I'm curious, Pete is is it roller coasters and in your love for roller coasters that have led to the development of Thrill Ride Maniacs? Well, believe it or not, it all started out because I actually hated roller coasters. When I was about six years old, oh my. I, was put on a ro- I was put on a roller coaster in Coney Island, uh, and basically I didn't like it very much. Uh, and about 40 years passed before I decided to, to take that uh, leap uh, again. Uh, my daughter was born in 1996, and uh, pretty much right after that, I decided that I wanted to overcome that fear to spend more time with the family and, of course, my wife, who, who was also a roller coaster fanatic at the time. Uh, I, even though I'm a pilot and I fly aerobatics and do, you know, loop-de-loops and, you know, and Emmelman's and, and, you know, barrel rolls and so on, I, I really had this childhood fear I needed to get over. And I guess around 2000, I started to do that and realized that, you know, a childhood fear is something that you really want to get rid of because it lasts all your life. And uh, any fear is, is no good. So I... I Basically took it head on, had a great time with it, and one day someone said, you know, you know a lot about roller coasters and thrill rides. You might as well write a book about it. We wrote the book America's Top Roller Coasters and Amusement Parks. And you know how Facebook works. Once you start pr- promoting stuff on the book, uh, producers started calling and saying, hey, we want to do a show. So that's pretty much how that all came about. <laughs> wow. All because of a fear. Facing a fear. All because of overcoming the fear. In fact, uh, in Virginia on a, a station called WVEC, I think it's Channel 10 down in Virginia, Hampton Roads area. I was actually live at Bush Gardens. We had a gentleman by the name of Mike Marr who was afraid of roller coasters. And my job, uh, should I take it on, was to <laughs> overcome, uh, have him overcome his fear within an hour of the broadcast. Well, we were successful in that I was able to get him to ride the roller coaster the Griffin twice. And, uh, you know, it could have been pretty embarrassing if I, uh, if I had failed, but it, uh, fortunately it worked. <laughs> what did you have to bribe him with to do that? <laughs> no, I just talked him through it, basically came up with some tips on uh, how to overcome your fear, and, uh, and uh, he was able to do that. Well, we'll share some of those tips for our audience because there may be somebody listening who's either afraid of flying and you're a pilot or, you know, afraid of uh, roller coasters as well. What are some of the things that you would advise them to consider? Well, the biggest fear for both, actually flying and roller coasters, because, you know, uh, actually roller coasters mimic actual flying, aerobatic flying, uh, is that people are afraid of losing control over their environment. In an airplane, you're sitting by yourself or you're sitting with your family, but you have no control on where you're going. It's kind of like being a, a passenger in, in a car or a bus uh, that you're not crazy about. The same thing can be said for roller coasters. There's lack of control, and the biggest problem is that, people have on roller coasters is two major problems and that is number one they close their eyes while they're on the ride now you never do that because if you do that you get vertical you suffer from vertigo you don't know where Mm -hmm. you're going when the ride's over you're pretty dizzy and and you're not feeling too well and the second thing is people forget to to scream the one thing i learned about being an aerobatic pilot getting involved in aerobatics is you want to keep the blood flow up into the upper, upper extremities of your body you know in order to not brown out or feel very queasy. 
if you grunt or scream. Now, I wouldn't recommend grunting on a roller coaster. That might scare people. But if you <laughs> scream on a roller coaster, uh, the blood will stay up into your upper extremities, and you will not feel nearly as queasy as you do that. So those are two of the things that I recommend. With regards to Thrill Ride Maniacs, where does the show go? Where have you traveled to, and where are the best places to experience a thrill in this country? Well, in Thrill Ride Maniacs, we decided to go with uh, uh, of several different uh, things. Basically, we went to one of the uh, world-famous roller coasters called the Cyclone, and that's in um, Luna Park on Coney Island. Uh, actually, it was, it was built in 1927. It's one of the oldest roller coasters around. But the more important factor is all wooden roller coasters that have followed since 1927 have tried to emulate the cyclone. In fact, in, uh, I guess in the late uh, 1920s, uh, Charles Lindbergh, the famed aviator himself, actually uh, uh, boasted it was better than flying. So <laughs> it has a, a, a very good uh, background, and we decided for the uh, pilot that we would start off right at the cyclone uh, in Coney Island. From there we went to uh, Pole Position Raceway, which is the site of... Uh, the fastest go-karts in the world. They, they go about 40, 50 miles an hour. In fact, you have to actually wear a helmet to wear those things. And, and while we were there, some of our thrill-ride maniacs sort of uh, crashed into the barrier. We had to actually administer some first aid because they were moving pretty fast. And after that, we went uh, into aviation, and we uh, flew with uh, some of the best uh, aviators in the country, Mike Mancuso, uh, who's world-renowned for his, uh, his exploits uh, at air shows. He took us up uh, to do some uh, some heavy G, uh, high uh, thrill ride uh, maneuvers, and then we decided, well, let's try a team this time. I went to the Northeast Raiders, which is a demonstration team that flies the Yak uh, 52. Uh, that's a Russian military trainer, and in formation, we uh, basically did pretty much the same maneuvers. Uh, you know, to see how that worked out. And uh, overall, uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, people that had fun. Uh, the crew had fun, and, and, of course, the thrill ride people had fun. We uh, put it all together, uh, put, put together what they call a sizzle uh, and a reality show pilot program, and now it will be pitched, and uh, hopefully by the summer of this year it uh, will be picked up by uh, one of the networks. Oh, I'm excited for that, and, and you know, I, I'm always happy to volunteer for a thrill ride as well. <laughs> so um, just pick me up. I have my Dramamine, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Not a problem. If this does work out, and we hope that it does, uh, uh, we'll probably be traveling all over the country as well as all over the world uh, looking for the, uh, the best uh, thrill rides around. For example, it's been brought up that people want to jump out of airplanes. Now, I might not want to do that myself, <laughs> uh, but um, I'm sure we can find a few people to do that. Uh, also, uh, going in the Vomit Comet, or the, uh, that's the, uh, the airplane that simulates uh, zero gravity so that you're floating around for 30 to 40 seconds at a time. Uh, that's also pretty interesting, considering that you're in a falling state for about 30 or 40 seconds, which is... Uh, uh, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, there are a bunch of things uh, that we're going to be planning on doing, um, you know, for the show. The the name Vomit Comet doesn't, it's not very inspiring <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, well, that's a NASA designation for, for their airplane, which basically goes through that arc, that parabolic arc that basically causes the, uh, and it's a good way to train the astronauts for, for zero, zero gravity. And, uh, uh, you know, there are companies out there that do that, not just uh, NASA at this point, but... Uh, it is a thrill ride. I, I will tell you that uh, if you've never done it, experienced it, uh, you know, the, the problem is you don't just do it once. You do it like 15 or 20 times and thus the vomit comet because <laughs> after a while people uh, 
start getting <laughs> tired of it. So uh, yeah, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while you will find somebody who does get a little sick. Oh, dear. Now, are these attractions that you feature or these uh, events um, that you feature on, the, uh, on, on your episodes, are they open to the public? Can the public participate in some of these, like the go-kart racing and the, the uh, zero-G uh, flights? Well, yeah, we're constantly casting for this. Obviously, we don't want to, uh, you know, just take anyone. Obviously, we want to have somebody with a little personality and, and a story to tell. And that's that's the, the thing we want to we want to see that people are are, are very aware of uh, why they're doing this. But you know, we've got a lot of professionals like doctors and lawyers and uh, and people like that who actually uh, you would never think they'd uh, climb up a three hundred foot roller coaster. Uh, you know, considering what they do. And, you know, we like to get different stories from different people and understand pretty much why they uh, they do what they do. So, uh, yeah, it's open pretty much to everyone. And I'm sure once our website goes up, we'll be, uh, we'll be casting for, for future shows. So, yeah, uh, I would say that it is definitely open oh. uh, to the public. Well, that, that's good to know. But I, I meant, you know, are the attractions themselves available? Can Are they open for uh, public participation, like, the go kart oh, race. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, Pole Position Raceway uh, this has five locations around the country. California being one, of course. Los Angeles. Uh, I think it's out of the Los Angeles area. Uh, there's also one down uh, even further down south in California. You got uh, one over in Jersey City and, and a few others. So that's available. Of course, anyone can ride the Cyclone. Uh, it's a great roller coaster at Coney Island or any roller coasters. Uh, and, of course, if you wanted to do a ride with Mike Mancuso, it uh, might be a little more difficult because, uh, you know, he's kind of retiring at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure you can probably get uh, other uh, air teams that would be more than happy to take people up. And every once in a while you can win uh, a contest and get a ride in, in some of these souped-up uh, aircraft. So, yeah, it is open to the public. And, uh, you know, we, we try to say that also uh, in the uh, the show that, uh, you know, these are things that people do. It's not just... Uh, these individuals that are in front of you on television, that it's available to pretty much anyone. Now, how does one go from being uh, chief of staff for the New Jersey State General Assembly to a thrill seeker like you are? I mean, living in Washington, you know, the seat of politics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, that, I mean, you've just done a, a total 180. Well, you know, you only go around once in life. And what I try to do is I try to tell people, Listen, you know, follow whatever dream that you want. Don't give up on it, no matter how old you are. I'm 52 years old, and now I'm doing a, a reality show that's really geared for people a lot younger than me. Uh, so you know, don't give up on your dreams. Now, I, I love politics. I actually ran for a freeholder position, a board of chosen freeholders, which is equivalent to most states having a, a county council, you know, a county council person. Uh, and I had fun with that and I ended up... Uh, you know, working both ends as a chief of staff for several assemblymen and state senators in New Jersey State Assembly, and and also uh, you know ran myself. You know, there's a lot lot of good in people. Uh, you know, uh, politicians do get a bad rap, and and some of them, unfortunately, are career politicians, and that's not a very good thing. But uh, you know, people tend to want to get involved in politics because they want to help out. I believe that I'm an idealist and. I've always enjoyed that and still uh, believe that to this day. Uh, but going from politics, uh, which is one roller coaster ride, uh, to another, which is obviously doing the thrill rides, was not much, much of a jump uh, since I also enjoy uh, thrill rides. And, you know, I've been in a, a pilot. I've, I fly a lot, or not as much as I like now, but I do fly a lot in aerobatics. And, um, 
you know, it's not much of a jump when, when you do things that you love to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone's got great hobbies out there that they want to do, and these are just a few of my hobbies. Now, is there one uh, experience, Pete, that you're, you're just waiting to have? I mean, what's the most exhilarating experience you've had, and where do you want to go from there? Well, you know, I've had a lot of exhilarating experiences. Uh, if you're talking about uh, pure adrenaline, uh, I, I kind of like uh, several rides that basically take you from zero to 128 miles an hour in three and a half seconds, shoot you up 440 feet, and shoot you back down 440 feet, still going over 100 miles an hour. That's a ride called Kindaka, uh in uh, Six Flags Great Adventure right here in Jackson, New Jersey. Probably uh, my ultimate thrill ride uh, in that it's very short, but it, you, you sort of feel like you're on an aircraft carrier and you're being shot off uh, you know, the aircraft carrier on the catapult. So that would be one. Another experience I had that was really good, uh, which I really enjoyed, was I've had the pleasure of interviewing three crews, uh, space shuttle crews, STS, uh, I think it was 124, which is uh, Discovery, and STS-132, which was Atlantis, and the final flight of the space shuttle program, STS-135, and uh, that was also Atlantis. And I really had a great time going into the simulator, the full-motion simulator with, with four experienced astronauts sitting in seat number five, strapped on my back, <laughs> looking straight up at the sky, and basically experiencing what it's like to do several launches uh, and landing uh, procedures uh, and scenarios wow. in a full-motion simulator that simulates just about everything that could possibly happen or go wrong. And that was an amazing experience and one that I will not forget shortly. I, I bet. Is there a website that uh, people can log on to to kind of just keep up with you? Well, obviously, in, in this day and age, uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, and I'm also on uh, Twitter, okay. and I'm also involved in uh, the Hey, listen, you know you've arrived when there's a Wikipedia page on you, too, so I've got <laughs> one of those uh, on the Peak Tribuco. And uh, also, of course, if you want to know more about the book, I have a second edition coming out. And that's going to include water parks, thrill rides, and also amusement parks uh, that are overseas in Europe, as well as a whole section on how to pack for your trip and tips uh, for travel. So uh, that should be coming out next spring. Uh, you can uh, find out more information at, uh, I guess it's americasrollercoasters.tatepublishing.net. That's americasrollercoasters.tatepublishing.net. The book is available. The, the first book is now available, uh, obviously, on Amazon, Tate Publishing, and uh, and any uh, bookstores in your area. And in if fact, not, call them up and tell them that you want the book. There you go. And in fact, we will have a link to the book um, on Amazon on your guest profile page on World Footprints. So, Pete Trabuco, are my favorite thrill seeker. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on. And listen, when I'm in Washington, D.C., uh, we are going to definitely go over to Six Flags America there and ride, uh, I think it's Superman that's there, which is an amazing ride. So, you know, maybe we can do that live on uh, on the radio. We got a date. Coming up, the Wine Institute's Gladys Horayuchi takes us on a tour of California wines in this month's Down to Earth celebration. April is the month that uh, Earth Day is celebrated, so we're making it a month-long celebration to put a focus on what our winery's Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, this is Keenan Jordan. Welcome to New Orleans. We're here with the World Footprint people, and they are the best people in the world. 
Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with One Brick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterward. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. My name is Mo. I'm born and raised in Alexandria, Egypt, and I live in New Orleans for almost 17 years. And I, I like to hear Wallet Footprints. Thank you. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Inspired by Earth Day on April 22nd, wineries throughout California are celebrating Down to Earth Month throughout the month with hands-on workshops, eco-tours, green-themed events, special offerings and tastings of eco-friendly wines. Gladys Horiuchi from the Wine Institute, California's largest public policy advocacy group, joins us for a special toast in advance of the festive events. Gladys, welcome. Hi, nice to meet you. Talk to us about Down to Earth Month. Is this a brand new event? It is. It's something that we at Wine Institute created to celebrate the sustainability of the California wine industry. And April is the month that uh, Earth Day is celebrated, so we're making it a month-long celebration to put a focus on what our wineries and vineyards are doing in the state. Now, now, when did, you know, in looking at sustainability, when did the wine industry actually move as a whole toward sustainable production practices? Actually, this has been going on for decades. And back in 2002, we established a formal program to document and promote a program to encourage the industry to adopt and expand their sustainable practices. And we introduced a 500-page workbook with over 200 practices covering sustainable practices, everything from the ground to the glass. So it involves what you're doing in vineyards to to reduce inputs, uh, conserve water, soil, habitat, um, all the way to the winery for conserving energy and uh, recycling and purchasing environmentally preferred products and and etc so it's a quite a comprehensive program it's not something you can do on a weekend and we're very proud of the program because it's been now 10 years since we've been operating and implementing the program and mm-hmm. about two-thirds of the california wine industry have adopted these practices it's probably more like 90 but two-thirds are involved in our program it's one of the largest sustainability uh, wine growing and winemaking practices in the world. So, so these practices uh, are actually sustainable themselves. They're more than just a, a trend. Well, it's a major trend, but yeah, there it's 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 happening, and there's a lot of reasons for the industry, you know, our vendors and growers to be involved in this program. They're very passionate about this program. They, most of these wineries and vineyards are family owned. They live and work on the farms, and they obviously want um, 
a business that they, they can pass on to their families in the next generation. Um, and it's simply, they feel it's a better way to farm and make wine. Um, and it's just, uh, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, of course, there's, they also believe that it improves the quality of the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that, um, I, I, you know, there's, California has very high standards of environmental regulation, so this is a way to self-govern and show our regulators that that uh, we know how to be responsible, socially responsible, and environmentally responsible in our winemaking practices. Gladys, California has always had a significant reputation for uh, wine tourism. Uh, Napa Valley, a place that Tanya and I have had a chance to experience. Uh, uh, before the move to ecotourism and sustainable wines, how is that changing what's happening in, in terms of drawing people to uh, California winery and to wine country in general there? Well, I think it's kind of a new, it's an added aspect of, of wine tourism here. We have over 20 million visitors to California wine regions every year. It's a major deal. And I think people are coming not only for the, you know, the, just the beautiful scenery and all the great experiences at wineries, um, but I think, well, what can I say? It, it, um, I think they're coming for the, the great wines and the foods and the fact that, that, uh, that they, there are a lot of green wineries and green green practices is just sort of an added benefit to what they're doing. It's, it's, I don't know how much people know about it, and so this is our way to help educate people with all of these winery events, uh, these eco-tours that gives us an opportunity to talk about our sustainable practices, and I think people really care about how their wines are grown and made. So, California often sets trends that the rest of the nation follows. Is Is that happening as well with this sustainable wine uh, culture that's being developed and are others coming there to see how California is doing it to perhaps take lessons elsewhere? Well, when we first introduced the program, we had hoped that our model would serve as a, our, our program would serve as a model for other industries to, to, to use. And, and indeed, we did have a lot of other um, states and even other countries asked for copies of our program so that they could try to develop develop something similar. And it wasn't just wine folks, it was also other ag commodities who were trying to emulate what we were trying to do. So um, it, it was one of the first programs of its kind to actually have an industry uh, document its practices and then report everything public. It was, was the first. And so we set targets every year so that people will continuously improve what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on the website uh, last night, and I was trying to determine if you had actually partnered with an academic institution, and uh, Michigan State University comes to mind. Uh, one, I'm biased, that's my uh, alma mater. <laughs> um, but have you involved the academic community in the development of uh, your new production practice, sustainable production practices? Oh, definitely. When we were first... Uh developing the, it took us, you know, maybe nearly two years to develop this workbook and program, and we had um, several universities, uh, professors, uh, UC Davis and 
Fresno and Cal Poly all look at it and make suggestions. And not only that, the um, we had the Fish and Game Department, uh, Sierra Club, the Nature Conservancy, the Audubon Society, a number of different uh, environmental groups look at it. Mm-hmm. So um, we wanted no surprises when when we introduced the program. We we didn't want to be criticized. Uh, they, we wanted them part of the process. So. Our 500-page workbook went out for review before we even introduced it. With April coming up here and the events that you're going to have going on during Down to Earth Month, what regions throughout California will be involved in these activities? And will some of these activities be available beyond April? Because there's some pretty cool things happening, like be a winemaker for a day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, these things, I mean, there's obviously some Earth festivals that are going to be just in April, but... A lot of these things are throughout the year, and it's these activities are happening in regions all over the state, from Mendocino down to Los Angeles, um, and everywhere in between. Um, for instance, in the Dry Creek Valley up in Sonoma County, there's a green wine trail, and Santa Cruz has got another organic wine trail um, so that people can, if, if they're interested in that, they can visit those wineries. Uh, there's several... Um, Winemaker dinners uh, that are where the winemaker is going to talk about their sustainably made foods and wines, uh, blending seminars. Um, there are eco tours like Zaca Mesa and Santa Barbara's. Got you hike with your dogs in the vineyards to learn about sustainable practices. Um, the Livermore Valley, Concana Vineyards has got some um, eco tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, festivals in Paso Robles and Mendocino. Uh, Monterey has got an online auction where they've got several packages uh, where you can go to wineries and learn about sustainability. So that will be an online auction that everybody can take advantage of uh, out of the state and then come, and t- of course, enjoy the, that package. So I, I think a lot of the, the eco-tours especially are happening pretty regularly. So, um, But this was just our way to bring some attention to all of these great events by doing it on in, in April. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this is your first uh, year for Down to Earth Month, and so this will be a recurring annual uh, event, you hope. Right. We have uh, one of, we're getting a legislative, introdu- legislative resolution introduced, and um, we're, I think it's going to be approved in mid-April, but it's pretty much, we, we, we hear is going to be approved. So um, we're very excited about that. It'll be a legislative resolution to declare April as Down to Earth Month and also recognize not only the state's sustainable wine growing practices, but also the wine industry's uh, economic impact of the state of California. Uh, Because the industry does um, produce 90% of U.S. wine in in California, California vintners uh, produce 90% of U.S. wine and it's 20 million visitors to California wine regions, and we um, generate 820,000 jobs throughout the U.S., Mm. uh, and 330,000 of those jobs are in California. Now, you know, everybody knows about Napa, um, others about Sonoma, but are there, is there a hidden treasure outside of those two regions uh, that haven't really gotten the attention that Napa and Sonoma have gotten that uh, produce excellent wines uh, as well. well I know well, I'm putting you on the spot because I know well, you represent I know, all of... I produce great wines. <laughs> I mean, it's like California, 
as a whole, it's such a great place to make wine because of the, the climate and the soil. We have this long coastline. So, you know, the grapes generally are pretty picky. They don't like weather that's too hot or too cold. And so we have this long coastline and that has the marine breezes and fog that come in and that sort of moderate and and the climate and make it mild. So it's, it's um, and we have a long growing season. So basically it's a very dry growing season, which is the other thing that grapes need. So, you know, we, we always... And, the, and then plus we have this long coastal mountain range, and so that's another way to protect us from any sorts of, um, you know, disastrous storms. Mm-hmm. You might hear about maybe one place gets hit hard, but the state is so vast that, that uh, the, you know, the rest of the state is pretty much insulated from, you know, maybe one incident. So, so for somebody who has not done a wine tour who wants to explore California, would you say that, you know, the best thing to do is just really head up uh, along Highway 5 and just well, stop? Well, a great place to start is our website, uh, consumer website, Discover California Wines, with it's plural, dot com. And it gives you the map and describes some factoids of, you know, each region and and lists wineries with links to the wineries, and there's an events calendar with, you know, it has a lot of these just these down-to-earth events, but events throughout the year. Um, and there's food and wine recipes, and there's uh, how to taste and serve wine. So there's tons of information there, and it's very visual and um, quick bites of, of information and factoids that I think it would be very fun to, to learn about. But certainly, you know, Mendocino... Ne- uh, Napa has got like five or six hundred wineries, and Sonoma has got like four hundred. So there's a lot of wineries there to talk about their region. Uh, another up-and-coming region is Paso Robles. They've got about 350 wineries. It used to be a great grape-growing area. I mean, it still is, but, but now that they have wineries, they've got wineries to talk about their area. And even Los Angeles has, has got Temecula and, and um, San Diego. They've got about... Um, over a hundred wineries down there and of course Santa Barbara is within reach and of course the great central valley uh, it's got Lodi and then the, up, the, up the Sierra uh, foothills near the Tahoe area there's you know, tons of wineries up there in Amador and Calaveras and El Dorado so mm-hmm. um, I think the sort of the area that's getting a lot of attention is Paso Robles because it's an area that people are less familiar with and there's quite a few wineries there um, as far as like um, green trend, I think that's all over the state. Oh well, you know I'm inspired, really, uh, for research purposes, of course, to uh, to to take a trip uh, along the coast. Uh, California being one of my former homes, so uh, Gladys always uh, happy to talk about California wines and and certainly connect with a fellow. Uh, Californian. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints. And we will have links to your website, the Wine Institute, and Discover California Wines on your That's guest great. page and uh, in the show page as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you want more World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report of the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again very, very soon. But until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.